A controversial Facebook group has once again drawn scorn, this time with an electoral twist. Former Congressman Daryl Issa and his opponent, Amar Kampanajar, participated in forums on Defend East County, in which both men made statements that made voters concerned. Whether or not this moves the needle in an election that's already begun remains to be seen, but controversies like these are growing more likely, as our diffuse media environment rewards contextless, targeted messaging. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Charles Clark, you cover politics for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and for this election, you're covering the race in California's 50th district. Can you walk us through what both of these men did on this forum? Uh, kind of get us up to speed. Right. So, you know, their, their mere appearance uh, stoked a certain amount of controversy, uh, but also what they said there. Um, so, you know, from Camp and Najar's perspective, uh, you know, he, although it wasn't all that different than things he said about certain policy positions, um, it was a rather blunt way he described his uh disdain for or opposition to the Green New Deal and Medicare for All proposals, obviously very uh, popular with progressive circles. Uh, he also made a comment that I think had a lot of people feeling that he kind of was waffling on his support for presidential candidate Joe Biden, uh, although Campaign Jar has ultimately cast his ballot in support of Joe Biden. Um, meanwhile, for ISA, the criticism really seemed to be that, you know, I mean, there's a few things. He said some comments about Black Lives, the Black Lives Matter movement that certainly I think racial justice advocates would take a certain amount of offense uh, to. Um, but also he made a comment that I think uh, definitely promoted citizen groups taking up arms um, to, quote, defend their communities, uh, which obviously given the current context of what we've seen the last couple of weeks um, is really a kind of odd thing to not be more cautious about kind of how he phrased it at the very least. Um, you know, as a reminder, they did this thing on Friday. That was just days after um, the FBI revealed they thwarted a plot by a self-stylized or self-styled militia members to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. We then found out Monday that they also had plotted or had discussed trying to kidnap the Virginia governor. Um, and it's also, you know, weeks after counter a counter protester in Kenosha, a teen, an Illinois teenager, took up arms, went to Wisconsin, Kenosha, Wisconsin, ended up shooting and killing two people. Um, so it was very much an odd thing to say. Uh, and if you like, I mean, I could say the specific quote if you prefer that. We can get to that a little later in the conversation. But uh, for more context, uh, can you describe what Defend East County is and how it's drawn scrutiny since it was formed in early June? Right. So Defend East County is a Facebook group of more than 22,000 members uh, that was created following you know, the day after uh, the fires in La Mesa, uh, specifically where two banks were burned to the ground. Um, you know, members of the group, they very much, uh, you know, are adamant that they're there to, you know, the community is about protecting uh, their community and their cities and local businesses. Um, and with that in mind, they have done things that are more philanthropic, right? They, they did help with wildfire evacuations, I believe, as it related to horses. Um, they've also done some fundraising for cancer groups. Um, at the same time, though, there is also a subset of the group that, um, has really trafficked in conspiracy theories, right? And there's been racist banter 
um, and you know, even celebrations of violence against racial justice protesters on its pages. Um, in the past, there have been videos of people punching and kicking Black Lives Matter protesters or running over activists with cars that have received hundreds of likes on the page. So it's kind of difficult. Well, there's certainly, I don't think that reflects everyone in the group. It's a very difficult thing to deny that that certainly is a fragment within the group, which is why they become so very controversial here locally. Um, members or people who are affiliated with the group have also gotten into uh, you know, altercations with uh, racial justice protesters. Um, I'm not saying who was responsible for those altercations, but they have happened. Um, and you've also had some activists who've alleged that they've been threatened directly by people affiliated with the group. Um, and there are even some, you know, white supremacists who have shown up at some of these counter protests. Mm-hmm. And I believe Hate Watch has included it in its, uh, you know, list of groups that, you know, provide safe spaces to people with fringe beliefs, be it white supremacy or extreme anti-Black Lives Matter beliefs. So let's get into the specifics of what each candidate said and the response. So let's start with uh, Daryl Issa. What exactly did he say that um, raised concerns with individuals who kind of watch extremist groups? Right. So the big comment that Daryl Issa made was he was asked by the group's founder, uh, Justin Haskins, what he thought of Defend East County and of, quote, citizen-formed and citizen-led groups to defend and protect their communities. Um, Issa, in response, not only defended but promoted such activity, saying, quote, a militia is, in fact, a personal right under the Second Amendment and your right to defend your community and to take charge if your government fails you or to take arms if your government turns on you. Those are your original constitutional rights, the freedom to enjoy your own life, your own home, to not have your banks or your churches burned down or vandalized is in fact something we cede much of our right to law enforcement, but we don't cede the right, we only cede the responsibility. If government fails to meet the obligations you've given them, you take it back. Um, In particular, I think that latter comment could certainly be interpreted as a call to action. Um, and in discussions with Brian Levin, who is the director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism uh, at Cal State San Bernardino, he's testified before Congress multiple times, um, you know, be it when it was controlled by Republicans or Democrats. And he has actually written a book, you know, nearly a decade ago about militias. And, you know, I, I reached out to him about, you know, that comment because to me it, it kind of jumped out. Um, I wasn't sure if just maybe I'm, you know, sensitive or hyper aware given the current context. Uh, but even Mr. Levin said, yeah, that's, you know, he described it as an irresponsible comment at the very least, um, because while certain aspects of how, you know, Mr. Issa described the Second Amendment are correct, when you phrase it in that way, right, and you're getting into militias and you're talking about, you know, armed revolt, you're almost creeping into, as Mr. Levin said, dangerously close to the insurrectionist view of the Second Amendment, um, which has been being promoted by groups who are seeking to kind of ferment a civil war. Um, And it also emboldens people who want to be vigilantes, right? The people who want to take up arms and go and attack uh, protesters that they, quote, perceive as a threat. Um, So in that way, it it is a very, uh, certainly I think for extremists or people who study extremism, kind of an alarming comment to make. Um, And I think the other thing to even keep in mind, right, even as Mr. Issa defended the comment and said, well, that's the original interpretation of the Second Amendment. Well, as Mr. Levin put it, you know, 
bottom line, yeah, that's a self, you know, the Second Amendment exists for self-defense. Um, but the idea that somehow if you don't like the government, you can take up arms in rebellion um, is kind of the dangerous idea, especially because in the modern times, you have the ability to vote them out at the ballot box, right? As, as Mr. Lauren put it, you have the power of the ballot instead of the bullet, which you didn't necessarily have, you know, centuries ago. Mm -hmm, certainly. And uh, hearing uh, kind of that explanation, it brings to mind several national events that kind of color this conversation that's in a sense ironic. So on the right, you have, you know, those individuals who made a show of force and in, uh, in uh, I believe Lansing, Michigan in early May against the stay at home orders due to COVID-19. And to many of the Black Lives Matter protests, their protest is exactly what you mentioned of government has failed these individuals and they don't feel safe by police. So there is this kind of underlying irony that no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, you can see a point that ICE is making. But the reality is the people most likely to take violent action are disproportionately on one side and not the other. Very, very true. And I mean, you even had, you know, heads of the FBI and things like that who've testified, you know, Department of Homeland Security, I believe it was even last week, who's, you know, maintained that the most persistent threat to the safety of Americans as far as a domestic terrorist threat are, you know, white supremacists. And they're increasingly taking violent action. Um, and to your point, I think you make a fair one. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of the ironic thing that I think people, even if you have mixed feelings about the Black Lives Matter movement, I think most people, bottom line, are in agreement that they don't like to see violence. And when you see a comment like that, whether it's intended or not, people who want to be vigilantes or who are just looking for some way to legitimize themselves, they can look at that comment and say, yeah, that's a call for us to do what we feel we, quote, need to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you reached out to Isa, what was his response to the criticism? Um, he was very dismissive of it, to be quite blunt. Uh, you know, he, he kept saying, well, it's the Jeffersonian original interpretation of the Second Amendment. Uh, and, and he really was saying it's insincere to say, you know, that that comment changes given the current context. Um, which, look, you know, it, it's that's an argument you can make but you're running for elected office, right? The words you say have meaning. You want to be a leader in the community. You need to be mindful of your rhetoric. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or anyone, you know, and, and I think that's kind of the issue at hand here that drew some criticism uh, from people who research extremism. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And uh, moving on to the other candidate, Amar Kampanajar, uh, can you explain what he did and said within the group that caused a backlash among liberals? Right. So, you know, and, and I guess to double check, I can't cuss on this, correct? I don't I don't care. It's up to you. <laughs> OK, uh, well, Amar, in describing, you know, he was very critical of uh, Medicare for all and the Green New Deal and described the plans as, quote, uh, ship plans wall-to-wall, -wall, or plans their ship wall-to-wall. -wall. Uh, you know, he, he also made this comment, you know, saying he wouldn't necessarily vote for Biden. He wanted to see how he would do in the upcoming debate, uh, which he then kind of walked that back, saying that his point he was trying to make was that he is, you know, whoever's running for elected office, they need to earn his support. They don't just get it because of party affiliation. Um, 
you know, I think with Camp in a Jar's appearance more than anything, especially given who, you know, his core supporters have been, the bigger issue is that he appeared at all, right? Like, you didn't necessarily see Republicans pushing back at, or at least I didn't, uh, about, you know, Daryl Issa appearing in this group that is largely conservative, you know? But for Amar Camp in a Jar to do it, especially given how, you know, members of the group or people affiliated with the group have, you know, reportedly behaved towards racial justice activists, um, you know, it's understandable that they would be really disappointed in that. And and certainly you saw in the days since that he seemed very aware that there was a very heavy pushback from it. You know, I know in the immediate aftermath, you saw some actually prominent local Democrats who were very, very critical, you know, to people who ran for county supervisor, including one who, you know, more or less said it, it was like aiding, you know, white supremacy um, just by appearing. So it's a tough, a tough thing, I think, for him to sell, especially given who his his you know core supporters have been. Mm-hmm. And when considering the raw politics of this, I can understand the kind of logic that Amar Kavanajar went through to appear in this group because it's a prominent group in his district. There are a lot of people in East County that have conservative views, not necessarily extreme conservative views, but conservative views. So if you're running as a Democrat, you have to expand the electorate to include those moderates and some conservatives that will vote for you. So was he just hoping that he could appear in this forum and just not face any backlash for this? Or is this just another example of hoping that, you know, Facebook and Twitter, whatever bubble you're in, you won't see the other side? Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to say, you know, we, we've had conversations about it and I kind of look at it two things. I think one, you know, Mark Kemp in a jar, the history of his campaign, right. For better or for worse, he has been very adamant that he wants to reach across the aisle. Um, he says that he wasn't aware of the more extremist elements of the group or that they made threats. You know, it, it's up to people to decide whether they, they believe that or not. Um, but I, but I do think the other thing to keep in mind, right, he, he explicitly mentioned, right, the, the things he's seen or they've helped the community, the wildfires, you know, but also a thing about, you know, Camp Najar is, and I can say this pretty comfortably, having covered him for, you know, two years now, you know, I, the guy is unapologetic about his faith, right? He, he truly is a big C Christian, right? He really believes that and he really doesn't want to be dismissive of people if they are different than them or just write them off. And I think, you know, at times that's helped his candidacy, right? It helps him connect with people. At other times it can have you miscalculate, right? And, you know, maybe you're giving an opportunity to a group that, you know, some of your supporters really just cannot fathom how you would do that. Um, And it's really kind of a reflection of where we're at as a country, right? When you see these kind of larger debates over, you know, in particular race and justice, it can be very, very hard for people, I think, to to empathize with the other side if you're really entrenched in your view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of these strange things that's happening, you know, nationwide is that be it you want to call it liberal purity politics or cancel culture, there is a loud online voice forcing individuals to be as perfect as possible. And for campaigning, that literally puts you in a losing position. Right, right. And I think the one other thing I should add about at least Camp Jar's perspective going in, right, is within this group, there have been conspiracies floated about him, right? So he says he wanted to go in and address that. And, you know, I talked to a, 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 at least one political scientist who mentioned, right, that, you know, maybe there's an argument to made, right, that it's like 
quote Daniel going into the lion's den, right? You're going into this venue that you know isn't going to be friendly to you. And while you may not peel off most of the people in the group, maybe a couple of them, right? Just you showing up and trying to, you know, share your perspective will resonate with, um, you know, long-term, I think given the massive pushback he's received and now that he's, you know, walked back his uh, participation with the group, uh, it, I mean, it's real murky whether this was, you know, I, I have a hard time imagining this was a positive in any way for his campaign. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of stepping away from what the both candidates said and kind of looking at what's going on in the 50th race more broadly, regardless of your opinion of either candidate, which one has more to lose by garnering this attention? Uh, I, I think it's undoubtedly probably Camp Najar. I mean, you know, with with Daryl Issa, you know, one, his base would perceive this as feeding to this base, and his base is unlikely to have, I think, the same negative views of the Defendies County group to begin with, right? So there was very little to lose by going and talking to them, right? They just, I mean, just bottom line, right? We, we know they do not perceive, generally conservatives do not have the same uh, perspective on racial justice issues, right? That progressives have. Um, so he he was safe in that regard, right? Even if he was aware of the more extremist elements of the group, um, you know, certainly conservative politics today has shown that they are more palatable to entertaining that, right? I mean, you have candidates running who are openly, you know, QAnon and things. We're on the Republican ticket. Um, you know, you, you had a president say stand back and stand by, uh, you know, when referencing, uh, you know, know, a a white nationalist group. So, you know, it it didn't sink him entirely in the polls yet. So we'll see. But it it just, it seems like there was, you know, very little ice it could lose by appearing. Forgive it a jar, though, I I do think there is a real loss there. I've seen some political scientists say that as well. Um, You know, does that mean that his voters would flip to ISA? I mean, absolutely not. But could it mean that they are less motivated to to get out there? Yeah. Or are they just going to pinch their, you know, nose and vote? Maybe. Um, and I think certainly seeing how he's responded to that suggests that he knows that it's, it's, it's taken a hit, right? I mean, put like a two and a half minute video on Facebook or on uh, Twitter um, where he seemed very, very contrite about it. Right. And he was very blunt that I, I really messed up and I messed up bad and, you know, that, that may hurt him with the Defendies County people, right? Because it, it feels like, you know, rain them off maybe. But I think certainly to his supporters, it's going to be up to them to decide whether they feel that's uh, genuine or not. Certainly, yeah. It's like the political game has changed so much that, you know, let's say Marc Compton loses this seat. Maybe it's better for him to run as an independent or something in the future rather than, you know, promising things that even he has said he doesn't support, even though someone who may not be paying attention would assume that, you know, oh, a young millennial person running, this must be another AOC. No, this isn't the case. Right, right. And that's another good point in this, right? And when you look back, you don't return to your question about why would he do this? Uh, Mark Campanajar is a, a moderate, right? There, there's people who want to label him a, a socialist, like just the objective reality, he is not, right? And it is pretty abundantly clear if you hear him speak in his policy positions that he is not. And because of that, right, he he would try to appeal to to voters who are not strictly in the progressive lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally, many San Diego County voters have already sent in their ballots. This election is ongoing. 
do you even think events like these can move the needle given that we're in this long election month? Um, generally speaking, in most races, I, I wouldn't really know. But, you know, in this race, I do think it's a bit different in that this polling wise is by far the most competitive congressional race in San Diego County, right? Like, we've had three consecutive polls that have these guys in a statistical dead heat. And that, to me, means whoever wins, right, it's, it's within the margins, right? It's a little thing. And so, yeah, I do think an appearance like this, right, whether you're Amar and him appearing turns off people who don't like, you know, Defendi's County, right? Maybe that peels away, you know, even if it's only a fraction of 1%, well, this is a tight race. Um, meanwhile, if you're ISO, right, I, I could very easily see if you're, you know, some conservatives um, or moderates, when you look at the comments he made about armed citizens groups, like, I think, again, going back to the original point, and this is something I find talking to people, and I have friends who, you know, are on, you know, different sides of the spectrum. One thing everyone's in agreement in is they don't want to see escalating violence. Like, even people I know personally who are in the Defendees County group talk about they don't want to see, you know, escalating violence. So when they see a comment like that, I do wonder if that's enough for them to go, I, I don't know if he's my guy, right? And does that mean they vote for Amar? Maybe not. Does it mean that they just don't vote on that part of their ticket? Who knows? But I, I certainly think when you have a race that's as competitive as this one is, these things, you know, it's going to be decided in the margins and these things can have an impact. All right. Charles Clark, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. As voters cast their ballots this month, check out our election coverage all in one place, our elections dashboard. That's sandiegounionchibune.com slash election dashboard, all one word. To support our journalism, go to unionchip.com slash subscribe. Until next time.